0: We are so excited this morning to uh, celebrate together with the candidates who join our church. So my personal congratulations to you and uh, for your uh, joining our church together. Others who are baptized are drying up right now, and they will join our worship later. And after the benediction, uh, they will also be invited to stand right in front here. And everybody has a chance to come and line up and shake their hands to welcome them into our church family and grow together. Okay. what are they getting themselves into as they join our church? We want to be a vibrant church of disciple-makers that reproduces vibrant churches. That's who we are. That God calls us to be a vibrant church, a, a church that is alive with Jesus Christ and reproduce life-giving church, lively church for Jesus Christ, locally and globally. And, and what do you mean by vibrancy? And pastorals stuff, we... We thought about that and say, well, if any Christian in our church, uh, we can love passionately. We love God and people passionately. And secondly, if we live authentically, okay, uh, authentic discipleship. And if we give generously uh, a biblical stewardship, we are able to share generously with other people our time, our resources, and, and what our church have and share with other people and go out of the four walls, like go courageously, then... We feel that this is a vibrant church. Now, we are not saying that this four indicators is exhaustive. We're just saying that for our church, we choose to follow this four guidelines and grow deep. And I truly believe that any Christian who says that if I love God you know, passionately and live authentically and give generously and go courageously, I'm experiencing a very vibrant relationship with uh, Jesus Christ. So as we begin in September, we preached last week on loving passionately. And today, we want to preach on live authentically from Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54. You know, in that passage, there are two groups of people, not only in that passage only, but in the New Testament, there are two groups of people um, who are respected religious leaders. They are the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the people who take their faith very seriously. And they want to take it seriously as a way to show their piety before God. But you know what? Their strength also becomes their weakness. See, the high expectation from others and the accolades they receive regularly from the crowds tempted them to live a double life, a superficial life, a life of pretense, a life to impress other people. I don't know, even as I mentioned those lives, does it hit someone? You know, a life of superficial, double life. A life of pretense. A life to impress other people. And sometimes we feel that we are also feeling that temptation as well. That hypocrisy and legalism uh, have been the mark of this otherwise very religious and very serious people to obey God's word. The Pharisees strictly applied the law. And they add on a lot of the oral traditions that they develop to every area of their lives. You know, they are the more uh, powerful influence in the Jewish life. The scribes, sometimes they call them the lawyers, the scribes, and they, they are scholars who interpret the law and they are highly respected by most Jews. And here Jesus in Luke 11 is addressing some deeply embedded issues of the Pharisees and the scribes that we need to hear Today, if we intend to live authentically. And Jesus begins with a general rebuke, and then he gave six more specific rebukes that will be revealed afterwards. In verses 37 to 41, it says, when Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of things happened during meal times in the old, old days. And Jesus went in and reclined at the table, getting himself ready for food without first washing his hands. Now, that washing of hands is not for hygienic purposes. That washing of hands in the Jewish context is a ceremonial washing of the hands before meal that is in compliance with the oral traditions. And these practices were not required by the law But it was added by the Pharisees as an oral tradition, as a show of piety to God. And they imposed it on other people. And they consider this oral tradition as as authoritative as the Scriptures, and sometimes even more authoritative as the Scriptures. And Jesus uses this occasion to teach them what is essential. So in the next passage, he says, The Lord said to him, Now... You Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who make the outside make the inside also, but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Jesus is reminding the people uh, that internal cleanliness is more important than the external cleanliness. If the inside of a cup and a dish is clean, but the outside is unclean, well, it is still usable, right? Not ideal, but usable. But if the outside is clean, but the inside is not clean, it is of no use at all. You can't use it to serve tea or coffee. You can't use it to serve dishes during mealtimes. And Jesus was saying that the Pharisees look impressive externally, but they have greed, and wickedness on the inside. And, and they are considered unclean before God's eyes because God reads the hearts of people. The greed, they greet after recognition and praises from people. And their wickedness includes leading and enslaving people to follow the oral traditions rather than God's word. And Jesus says they are fools. They are fools because God is concerned with both spheres. In fact, God is especially concerned with what is inside. Because what is outside, you can see. What is inside, you can't really see. So in that passage, you can see a lot of outside and inside and outside and inside and outside. And Jesus is reminding them to watch out for that kind of a problem in a general statement. So using the common practice of giving alms to aid the poor, Jesus said, well, you need to give alms to your heart because your heart is, is impoverished. Your heart needs a lot of feeding. Your heart needs your help. Pay attention to your heart. Give attention to your heart. You see, Jesus is calling the Pharisees to live authentically. It means when the inside and the outside are consistent, are together, that is living authentically. And to help us remember that, I think this is a good picture, right? Don't look at the burger. I know you remember the double double. I like that too. Okay? In and out, the inside and outside. So, whenever you go to drive to in and out, remember inside and outside, live authentically. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. You know, inside is hard to care because we don't see it. Nobody can see what is inside, but we can see the outside. So, it's natural for many people who take the facts seriously. They want to impress people and say, hey, look at me. Hey, look at I memorize scriptures. Hey, look at me. I read, I read through the Bible how many times. As a way to show my piety, that's what the Pharisees did. But if you do it sincerely, if you do it for your own growth, that's wonderful. You don't need to brag about that. You can use it as an encouragement for other people. But the Pharisees did it just to impress people. They live a double life, and Jesus was concerned for that. And I think we as a church need to be concerned for that as well as we attempt to live authentically. So with that, Jesus begins to move to talk about three specific rebukes, uh, especially to the Pharisees that are concerned about. Jesus begins to use words like, woe to them, woe to them, woe to them, six times. Three times to the Pharisees and three times to the scribes. You know, if you look at dictionary, the word woes just means great sorrow and grief. But in the biblical usage, this is a warning. This is a condemnation. This is a rebuke. This is to pronounce judgment on those who are living that hypocrisy and legalism uh, before Jesus. And they have three problems that Jesus can see with them. Number one, they major the minor. Look at verse 42. Jesus said, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tie mint and rue and every herb and neglecting justice and the love of God. This you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus was reminding the people that even though you're faithfully and meticulously tight, tight means 10%, the produce from the land that you cultivate, which is required by the law of Moses, uh, but they make sure that even the little herbs like mint and rue, all these herbal plants are really, really small. So even little ones, you pay attention to it. But you know what? They are blinded to the more important teachings on loving God and upholding justice. Jesus is reminding the people that when you major the minor, you are trying to impress other people, but the more important things, the required the things that you ought to have done without neglecting the others. you can 't just major the minor just to impress people it 's not a situation of Either or it is both. You need both. Okay? You need to pay attention to your tithings, but also to your character. You need both in order to please God. And then secondly, Jesus reminds them of the problems and rebuilds them on self-seeking prestige that they are experiencing in verse 43. It says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings. In the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogue is the one closest to the Torah scroll. In every synagogue, there is a scroll that the first five books of the Bible is written in there. It is placed in a raised platform, usually in the center of the synagogue uh, or you know, in the front of the synagogue. And that seat usually is reserved for people like rabbi. And they love to have those seats, You know, in our days, it would be like the pulpit here where people can see you and you are on a raised platform. For us, the purpose is to preach to you, is to hear clearly, but for them, they want attention. They want recognition from people so that they can, uh, uh, able to receive some praises from people. You know, is that an issue with our church? I don't think so because we love to sit at the back. And you know how every worship will begin to fall in and you feel the seats at the back and slowly move forward. And many times, I have seen ushers trying their best to say, let's move forward, let's move forward. And Pastor Terrence will come in and say, let's, let's squeeze in, let's move forward. And usually we just start from the back. And ushers trying their best when they feel up at the back there, they will try to lead people to go to the front. And you know how awkward we feel? And they would try to look around for seats and they will just sneak in. So when ushers come to the front and look back, nobody's behind them because they already found a seat somewhere there. So, is that even an issue for our church here? We don't like the front seats. We want the back seats. We want to sit behind there, right? So the, the issue that Jesus talked about is not about where you sit. It's not about whether you have a title. I mean, we we do have positions in our church and some elected officials, some nominated and endorsed by the congregation. It's perfectly okay. okay even sitting in the front and, and there's no more seats around, you know, and join the pastors because they feel lonely by themselves in the first seats here. That's a wonderful thing to do. It's, it's not about that. The, the problem is they seek that as a prestige and for attention-getting. That is a problem of pride. They are craving for attention and praises from people. And, and such privileged attention leads to an elitist mentality, a special category, special group of people rather than to commit to serve other people. And the Pharisees have that issue that Jesus was talking about. And thirdly, they defile innocent people, unsuspecting people, in verse 44. He say, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. According to the law of Moses, they are not supposed, to, the Jews are not supposed to touch the graves. That will make them unclean for seven days. And they have to go through rituals to cleanse themselves. Then they can be incorporated into the community life. That's a big, big thing. But Jesus says, you are unmarked graves. People bump into you unknowingly, unsuspectingly. But you know what? You are leading them to death traps. You are leading them to dead end." there 's no way out if you follow them, if you go enter into that that door there 's no exit that 's that end because they are bringing people into legalism and they are showing them uh, the life of hypocrisy that 's what the Pharisees did to the people you know in summary on the issues of of the of the Pharisees, one is hypocrisy. hypocrisy was used in ancient time to talk about the actors or actresses on the stage in a theater. They put on a mask to play different roles. And the word is derived from there, hypocrites. That means it's not sincere. You're just playing. You're playing church. You're you're playing, acting like a Christian. You're acting like a pious person just to impress people. But in reality, when you take off that mask, you are a totally different person, a double life a superficial life, a life of pretense, a life to impress other people. That's the number one issue of hypocrisy. And secondly, they were seeking attendance. They are drawing people to themselves. They are not pointing people to Jesus. They want to be, uh, to be, to be pampered. They want to be recognized in high places. They feel good about that. That's an issue of pride. And thirdly, they are misleading it's unsuspecting and innocent ones to a dead end. See, the worst thing is innocent people, unsuspecting people. They are pointing people to death ends. That's the problem. And Jesus calls them and calls us to live authentically for the glory of God. And after Jesus dealt with that, he continues with three more, three more specific rebukes. And now he is addressing the scribes, okay, in verses 45 to 46. So, the number one issue is refuse to aid those who struggle. The issues with the scribes, number one, refuse to aid those who struggle. And the verse says, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us too. Well, this guy has guts. He's like, you talk about all the Pharisees, but the things talk about sometimes apply to us as scribes. Hey, you must well have it all. You know, let, us, let us have it. We want to hear it, okay? And Jesus said, woe to you lawyers also, but you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourself do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. They refuse to aid those who struggle. There are two ways to look at that. One, the scribes have high expectation of people. They set the standard high, but they refuse to do it. They refuse to walk the talk. That's one explanation. But I think that will be the less likely scenario because the Pharisees and the scribes, they take their faith very seriously. They will do their best to live out the faith as much as they can. Even to impress people, they will do it. And the second more likely explanation is they set standard, they set high expectation, but when people are struggling, see, not everybody is strong. And we have different spiritualities at a certain stage of our lives that when we are struggling, this high standard set by the scribes, they are not willing to come to the level and say, hey, brother, let me help you. Let me journey with you. Let me lead you through discipleship. Let me point you to Jesus. You need Jesus. I can't help you. I'm just like you. I'm a fellow strugglers in faith. Let's journey together. They refuse to do that. And maybe they even hit them with the Bible over the head. And, and shame them, and, and, and insult them, and make them feel belittled. That's the issue of the scribes that Jesus was talking about here. They refuse to be considerate, and they refuse to be, to be compassionate, refuse to aid those who struggle. And secondly, they kill the messengers. So in the, in the big, large chunk of message, Jesus talked about it from verses 47 to 51. Jesus so said, woe well, to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them and you built their tombs. Their forefathers killed many, many prophets in the Old Testament because the prophets were telling the truth. And when people tell you the truth, you don't always like it. And the best way to eliminate that is to silence them. Silence the messenger. And in the history of the Jewish people, they have silenced many, many of the prophets. And Jesus said, they killed them. Your forefathers killed them and you built a grave for them. What do you mean by that? Sounds good, right? You try to honor them. You try to give them a good burial. It sounds wonderful. But Jesus said, you are just like them. You are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your father. For they killed them and you built the tomb. You are not honoring the prophets. You are colluding with your forefathers. You are just trying to soothe your conscience, try to make yourself feel good, and try to impress people that, hey, I cared about their family. I cared about a proper burial. I give them a good memorial service. But in fact, you are just alluding together, uh, colluding together with them. Because in the following verses, Jesus said, Therefore, The wisdom of God says, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. And they continue to kill the prophets being sent to them. And Jesus, before he went to the cross, lamented before Jerusalem and said, how many times I have sent prophets to warn you, to remind you, but you were not listening, you were not willing, you were not responding to me. So so in verse 50, he says, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation because they continue to kill the prophets. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Jesus was reminding the people that Abel, the one who acted justly by offering a better sacrifice. And he was killed by Cain, his older brother, because of jealousy. And then Zechariah, according to Second Chronicle chapter 24, he was a prophet who told King Joash and said, you know, you have forsaken the Lord, and he will forsake you if you do not repent. Who, who likes those words, especially for people in authority? So Joash killed the prophets in the sanctuary, between the sanctuary and the altar. And Jesus said, all the bloodshed of the innocent people, of the people who acted justly for God, has been killed by you, and the blood are crying against you. And that generation is responsible for all the dying of the messengers that God sent to them. And they are responsible for that. You know, it is a terrible thing to be a generation responsible for creating an environment of rejection around Jesus. This is horrible. And Jesus was accusing them of doing that. And thirdly, they are a hindrance to the seekers of truth. Hindrance to the seekers of truth. In verse 52 it says, Woe to your lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourself, and you hinder those who were entering. And this is the, the third woes to the scribes. They know full well what, they, what the law said about the Messiah, and they can easily identify the promised Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and among the people, they should have been the first to respond uh, in faith and use this knowledge to promote faith among the people. But instead, they refuse to impart the vital knowledge that was available to them, and depriving the people of what they needed to know and to become part of the realm where God reigns by means of His Son. They are hindrance to the seekers of truth. And that's the issue with the scribes that Jesus talked about. So in, in summary, they were quick to demand compliance to the law, but they were slow to help those who struggle along the way. They silence the messengers who speak the truth. They withhold knowledge about the Savior. And these are the warnings and rebukes against the scribes for us as followers of Jesus today uh, to, to remind us that a vibrant church, if we intend to build a vibrant church, is indicated by an authentic life that shows that what is outside is consistent with what is inside. You know, as we look at the passage and look at our church as a Bible-believing church, as a conservative and evangelical church, we have a high view of God and a high view of Scriptures. There's a place for refuting heresies. There's a place for refuting false prophets and right the wrongs. But you know what? People like us, the nature of our church, our greatest temptation is to condemn people with the Bible and not willing to invest in disciple-making to build them up in faith. That, to me, I think would be our, our greatest, our biggest temptation. Is we know the Bible so well and we debate on the nuances of the Bible so articulately and so well that we often hit people with the Bible and not point people with the Bible, to Jesus. And that will be our problem. And as a church who intends to live authentically, we need to be aware of that, we need to be repentant of that, and we need to journey together when all these six woes that Jesus talked about in the Bible become a warning to us to, to to be watchful for. You know, we are good candidates for falling into the temptation of the Pharisees and the scribes, especially for churches like ours who cares about the Bible, who cares about God, who takes God seriously, who has a high view of God and scriptures, we tend to become legalistic, and we tend to become hypocritical, and we we begin to build a performance-based faith uh, in our church and in our lives. And that's why, as a church, we identify one of the indicators of a vibrant church is to live authentically when the outside and the inside are consistent. Now, let's be honest. We can never be perfectly consistent, but we do try our best to bridge them together, the outside and the inside, to bridge them together as closely as possible. And at times, we all struggle with inconsistency, but the problem is our unwillingness to acknowledge it. And we camouflage it. We act it. We try to please. We pretend. Then we become Pharisees, issue of hypocrisy. If we are willing to face it and acknowledge it and confess it and grow out of it, then we become an authentic Christian. And as a Bible-believing church, we tend to be strong in the truth, very strong in the truth. Thank God for that. We know the truth. But we tend to be weak on grace and love. You know, learning how to be a leader, one of the uh, 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 great axioms that someone gave me was very helpful. I'm still learning. Sometimes I fail. Sometimes I succeed. He says, when I am right, let me also be kind. When I am right, let me also be kind. See, the tendency is when I am right, I am not very kind because I expect your compliance. I expect you to change your view. I expect you To do it according to my way because I am right. Now, there's a place for that. When these are absolute truth in the Bible, of course, we do expect compliance with that. But there are a lot of relative truth that can be this way or that way. And sometimes we feel like this is the truth and we hold it because we follow a certain great teacher, we follow, we read a certain great author, and they, you know. Uh, really propound that, and we feel like, hey, that's the way to go, then we become someone that is not very gracious. We are not willing to journey with other people as they grow in their faith to understand God more deeply. Can I encourage you and myself to grow together that when I am right, let me also be kind. Isn't that the message that we preached last week? That Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Just like that. Just like you love God, love your neighbor as yourself. They are as important. Love God and love people together. When I am right, let me also be kind. I also want to apply and remind each other that as a church of Jesus Christ, we need to remember in Christ. Only in Christ we have real authenticity. We have true authenticity. You know, some people encourage pastors to be authentic by being transparent, you know, show your weakness, talk about your problems and issues. Then people can connect with you, right? Then you are real, you're authentic, and it is true. But how much? When? How to do it? I like this pastor, William Willerman. He said, Have you ever decided to act authentically? That's as dumb as deciding to act humbly. You either are or you aren't. To intentionally pepper my sermon with doses of predetermined authenticity is to be, well, inauthentic. To try to be authentic and try to tell stories and try to act in and push in and, and just insert something within the conversations and within the sermons and say, hey, I'm authentic, I'm real, you know, connect with me. That's the greatest hypocrisy. Is that? That's the greatest hypocrisy. You either have it or you don't. And, authentic, and authenticity is a life. It's a Christian life. It's a life you walk with Jesus Christ. It is to to come to be to 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 pursue after the likeness of Jesus Christ. It is to surrender yourself and let Jesus grow in your heart. Then authenticity grows naturally and you become authentic. It's not acting to be authentic. It's not trying to put things in to make you look like authentic. You know, when we do that, we just become Pharisees. We did exactly as the Pharisees. With all good intention. We got all good intention. Then people can connect with me. But we become acting. We put on the mask. That would not be good. True authenticity comes in Jesus Christ. Only. I like Sharon Miller when she said, Only in Christ we have true authenticity. Only God knows who we really are. That is, who He created each one of us to be. You know, sin leads us to construct alternative visions of ourselves. Selves we prefer, selves that are more comfortable, selves that bring us the most glory. We may try to construct selves that will honor God by even our best intention will be perverted when working off a man-made blueprint. In Christ, however, she said, we become our true selves. God opens our eyes to our sins, to the self-deception, to the things in our lives that are not from Him. Then He transforms us, conforming us to the only perfect human being who ever lived, that's Jesus Christ. So in Christ, we stop operating according to the constraints of social expectations and personal insecurities and lies. Rather than living in ways that are subhuman, we finally live in a manner worthy of God's vision for humanity. That's authenticity. You see, she said, authenticity cannot be faked because it does not, ironically, rest in our natural self. Our only option for being true, authentic people is to lose ourselves, casting ourselves on Jesus' mercy, joyfully acknowledging that Christ's power is made perfect in weakness. The more we realize our desperate state and need of God's grace, the more authentically human we will be. Authenticity is not about acting like an authentic person. Authenticity is not about following a certain rules and steps to make us authentic. Authenticity is to follow Jesus and be like Him. And His life begins to transform us and changes us to be like Him. That's when we become authentic. I want to encourage you to follow Jesus. I want to encourage you to emulate after Jesus. I want to encourage you to pick up your Bible and read your Bible because it is God's Word that will bring you into the likeness of Christ. I want to encourage you to pray together. So I want to invite our church to really come and pray together. Every Wednesday night we pray. But especially for the month of September, we pray for us to conform to the likeness of Christ. All the preachings that we'll do in the the month of September will be unpacked on Wednesday as well in the prayer meeting. And we'll pray for us. Last week, last Wednesday, we prayed for us to to love passionately. And this coming Wednesday, we'll pray and ask God to help us to live authentically. I want to invite you to come and pray together with us so that as a church together, as we step into the new church here, we can grow strong, we can go strong together. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are so thankful for this passage because it is a hard passage to preach and it is a hard passage to read because oftentimes we see ourselves in there. In all our honesty, Lord, at times we conform to the likeness of the world we conform to the expectations of other people. And at times, we try to please people more than we try to please God. And Lord, as we read this passage, we know that you are calling us to live authentically as a church so that we can be a vibrant church. And Lord, we pray that as a church, as we come together, not we are not learning some skills and some actions to be authentic, but rather we are learning how to be like Jesus. We are learning how to surrender ourselves and allow Jesus' life to live in our lives, to transform us to be more and more like you. And that's when we become authentic. That's when the outside and the inside are consistent. Guide our church to follow after Jesus. All the best preachers and all the best books in the world will not be perfect, but only Jesus is perfect. So we want to grow and learn after you. Thank you for teaching us and thank you for reminding us.